0: It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From one game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by
1: Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Bellotto, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver course They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O. Jay. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. you, Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. Today so there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid. Who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter.
2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneider. Join us my co-host, Nick Alato. Today to break down the New York Giants' second preseason game against the Cleveland Browns, a team they have practiced against all week, and now they put it on the field, albeit not many actual starters for, uh, actually no starters for the Giants, no starters for the Browns I believe either. Very few players who probably will make too much of a major impact this season, but some back-end roster guys competing for roster spots, so we got a lot of good information on that. So a little bit of Sam Beal today. Not what we wanted to see, but we saw a little bit of Sam Beal, <laughs> the player we were talking about. So where do you want to start? What was, I guess, your key takeaway from this uh, Giants loss?
1: Key takeaways, I mean, we saw some of the same things that we've seen in the past. Cam Brown doing excellent things on special teams. We saw some back-end roster guys like you were talking about, the David Moas of the world making plays down the line of scrimmage, making uh, just creating pressures, also made that tackle way down the field when Kyle laletta acted like Michael Vick and rushed for like 33 yards downfield. I thought that was really encouraging. And I guess we could start with that defensive line, Dan. I mean, we have the Giants. You have Leonard Williams. You have Dexter Lawrence, B.J. Hill, Danny Shepard. Elton, Austin, Johnson, and then you have this guy, David Moa, who's, who's really kind of making a lot of noise, and I, I mean, the Giants are kind of deep all throughout this roster. They're going to be solid players cut, but do you think uh, anything, there's anything special with this David Moa character who has an interesting type of build and just insatiable, I guess you could say, competitive toughness about him? I mean, that, that goes with a lot of these Giants. They play really, really hard for Joe Judge, but Moa, for the second preseason game in a row, really stuck out.
2: Yeah, he definitely stuck out. And like like just like Trent Harris, who we were talking about earlier this week, uh, I did see Trent Harris got a nice pressure. Uh, from my notes, I have him down having one that I can't remember exactly what play that was. But as far as Moa goes and players like Harris and Moa, just like I said on the last podcast, I'm going to stand by it. I think that within this specific system they're running, this Patriot style defense, this time under Patrick Graham, who we hope will be running this defense for quite some time, there's going to be surprise contributors from the Eds. There's going to be guys who are not traditional edges, like you said, he has a little bit of a different build, Moa. And yet they're going to find ways to get pressure, to create pressure through different types of, you know, blitz packages, formations, personnel groupings, things of that nature. That's what they did all last season. Giants are 12th in sacks last year, despite having nothing from the edge presence, literally nothing. They lost Carter. O'Shane didn't play, really, for the most part. And I think, by the way, he had a nice sack, nice pressure. We'll get to him um, a little bit later, but... With all the injuries at edge, they still found a way to compete in from a sack standpoint and from a pressure standpoint. I never felt like you know there was too many situations where they were just completely blanked for a game, and a lot of those were covered sacks. But that's part of the game, so I think he could be just like you said, uh, just like we were talking about before, another one of these surprise contributors.
1: I think it's interesting with him because I didn't realize this, but he's 20 years old. Like he just turned 20, like born in 2001 type of 20 year old. Like that, that, that's absolutely insane to me. This is a six foot three, 275 pound player. So like we said, kind of unique. I think, I mean, we, we we talk about Nico Lalos a lot, right? The kid from Dartmouth last year, another 2020 uh, undrafted free agent, and we think he might be a practice squad-type contributor on this team. I think Moa could be pushing for that type of spot. I'm not sure if those two would be competing with each other, especially since the Giants added so much depth, and you have players like Trent Harris who fit so well into what Patrick Graham wants to do. I think that's something interesting to kind of view at the back end of preseason game three to see if any of those two can
2: continue to
1: make plays in the preseason.
2: Yeah, and this was almost like, it's so interesting. uh, I think a big thing we can talk about even before getting more into the game is just kind of how a lot of Giants fans were very surprised to hear today. Obviously, they waited. It's a bit surprising they waited all the way to Sunday, I guess. I mean, they waited really long, but a bit surprised to hear today what the plan was from the Giants and from the Browns, by the way. It wasn't just the Giants. They They basically treated this game like the fourth preseason game. Uh, the traditional fourth preseason game, I should say. Where it's just total backups, back-end roster guys trying to compete for spots. Uh, really across the board. Even more so. I mean, even those fourth preseason games usually get maybe a series from the starters. A series or two sometimes. This was even less than that. So this was even taking that to a, a further extent. Were you a bit surprised, disappointed by that? Anything? I know a lot of Giants fans on Twitter that I was you know, reading before the game. They were very I mean, Even my brother, who I watched the game with today, and my dad as well. Both were just pretty disappointed that they didn't get any... Thing from the starters. And right away, right from the first snap, it was pure backups across the board.
1: I would have liked to see the starters, but I understand where Joe Judge is coming from. You really want to take a conservative approach and ensure that these guys, the reps are managed and all of that. I mean, like like I said on last podcast, I want to see Daniel Jones out there. I'm not sure if that's just me being greedy. And I know Daniel Jones, we're not necessarily fully sold on him. So we think the reps are valuable. But I think what you, your case you laid last podcast, just like let it be, we'll go into that last preseason game, treat that as the uh, dress rehearsal. And then we can lead everything into the season. He's not going to see really too creative of defense. I think that was a solid point made by you. So I'm not going to throw a fit about it, but I would like to see some of these starters because I do believe a lot of them are relatively unproven as NFL starters. Guys like Matt Pear, Daniel Jones. I mean, there's a lot of them and that entire offensive line essentially falls into that category.
2: Yeah, I think that would be the thing for me. So like I do tend to lean toward the Joe judge Patriot style. I think there's more risk than reward for these preseason reps because again, defenses are just not throwing much out there, but Having said that, the one position group I thought should have played today was that first-team offensive line, because that first-team offensive line, in my mind, needs a lot of reps. They need a whole lot of reps, even if it's not going to be what it's like in the regular season with Daniel Jones calling the plays there. They still need reps in the run game. They still need just individual pass-blocking reps, specifically guys like Matt Parrott and Shane Lemieux and the younger guys, even Nick Gates to some extent, and obviously Andrew Thomas as well. And so that was the one thing I thought maybe the offensive line should have got a series or two. Instead, they went just pure backups across the board on the O-line. So that one was definitely a bit surprising to me. But again, I get it. Like, turnaround, short turnaround. They're going to be up in Boston. They did not want to have injuries lingering into those first days of joint practices with the Patriots. And so we'll see. But I'm pretty sure this next Sunday, when the final preseason game against the Patriots, Jones will play a lot. Jones might play a full half, and so will the rest of the starters, I think. I know, and there's word that Saquon Barkley is going to be
1: practicing as well, because Joe Judge obviously really knows Bill Belichick, knows that coaching staff, knows that organization really well, and it seems like he has more trust in the Patriots organization not to take some cheap shots at Saquon Barkley, so it seems like we might actually get to see Saquon Barkley practicing in somewhat of live reps. I mean, I'm sure it's not going to be tackling and things like that, but it's still encouraging sign towards his week one availability.
2: Well, yeah, without a doubt, Nick, because I was very confident earlier in the offseason, really just recently as a week, two weeks, three weeks ago, about Barkley being ready to go, full workload. He's right now fully healthy, just hasn't, you know, he's taking it slow because the doctors want him to and because his agents want him, things of that nature. But again, like if he doesn't play a single preseason rep at all and doesn't even practice any of these team drills in practice this week... I have to change my perspective on that because i don't think that he's going to go straight from non contact drills to a, to a regular season workload, like I think he needs to get going this week if not not to say he needs to just like from a long term standpoint, Nick, but just if i 'm to expect if we're to expect him to be there week one, playing a normal role or playing any kind of role. He will have to get team reps, live team reps. There's no chance in hell a player is going to go straight from non-contact red jersey to playing on Sunday. That's not how this is going to go. He's going to need to take hits. He's going to need live reps against the Patriots and potentially preseason snaps, but not necessarily. If he's getting live team 11-on-11 11 11 reps during these joint practices of the Patriots, I'll feel confident he'll have a role in week one. If he's not, though, I'm going to start to think like this might actually be what Rappaport originally predicted. Like Until week three, we won't see him because... At some point, he's going to have to take hits before going right back into action.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, I, I kind of thought uh, all along that Devontae Booker or Corey Clement, whoever would win throughout preseason, would would have some sort of more significant role than what we would want as fantasy managers to say Guam Barkley in week one just so he can get ingratiated back into the offense. And, honestly, Devontae Booker today actually looked – pretty good man he had a couple really nice jump cuts fell through contact well had six carries for 27 yards and that touchdown on that pretty impressive second drive by Mike Glennon and the offense so I mean I came away a little bit encouraged with Devontae Booker showing just that toughness that you know Joe Judge wants out of this running back position
2: yeah Booker was one of two giants who impressed me the most on the offensive side of the ball today I thought Booker did an excellent job with the little nuances of the running back position I talk Mm -hmm. a lot throughout the years of the nuances of playing the running back position. Why Nick Chubb is as good as Nick Chubb is. Why Dalvin Cook, even to an extent, is as good as he is. Because remember, Cook went into that combine and everybody nicked him because he had that 33-inch vertical. And they said, this is not an explosive athlete. You can't take him 1-1. And a lot of us believed he was the best running back in the class because of the nuances of playing the position. It's reading the holes. It's setting up your blocks. It's finding ways with your feet to create extra yardage. And I think Booker does an actually pretty good job of that. And I think he did a great job of that today. I'm pretty excited that booker on the roster. Yeah, they maybe shouldn't have rushed out to free agency to to buy him <laughs> this year because you know you could have waited out and gotten Jamal Williams cheaper, whatever it may be. But you don't need to rush out for a running back like that. I get that, but at the same time, I am happy to have him on the roster at this point because I think he's a solid running back from the nuances standpoint and from just getting. Maximize, I guess maximizing what's there for him, both in the run game and in the passing game as well, where I thought he looked pretty good there, too, and ran some pretty good routes. So he was definitely one of the two players who caught my attention the most on offense.
1: He's a physical guy, too, which is another thing that, I, that I'm really
2: impressed by. i got to ask, though, who's that other player that caught your eye on the offense? The other player that caught my eye, and I, I really hope it's not, you know, unfortunately short-lived, but it was Rice and John. I mean, yep. he, he had really good plays up the seam, and I love seeing those. It's crazy. You watch those balls up the seam, and it's just like why have we not have thrown this many passes like this over the last four years of watching this offense, or however many it may be, basically since Evan Ingram was drafted? He should be the guy running that seam like that, and you should be fitting that ball into that window like as a quarterback. Whoever's been playing quarterback, Jones, Eli, whoever's been there, more often than they've tried to do it. And Glennon tried to do it in this game. He tried definitely tried to get it going, and it worked. I mean, Rice and John look good today. Obviously, he's a project. We've seen this happen with tons of pass-first type tight end projects over the last four years. Too excited here with Rice and but I think there's a little bit something there. He definitely caught my attention.
1: Absolutely. I had his name circled as well. He had three catches for 58 yards. Two of them were long balls at the seam, one from Glennon and one from uh, Brian Lewerke, who definitely looks better than Clayton Thorson, to be honest. But still, he's Brian Lewerke. Let's keep that in mind. And to me, man, Rice and John just look gigantic, too. And and another, he just looked big out there. And another reason why I think those plays are open is because a lot of these defenses are just playing like soft-shell defenses and stuff like that. They're not implementing anything, traps along the seams and stuff. That's another reason why those plays are open. But he's still was somebody who impressed me as well. But uh, I mean, he left the game with like 14 seconds left with a lower leg injury. So we got to wait to see what that is. Madre Harper also left the game with a groin injury. And then Quincy Wilson, who had his second interception of the preseason, left the game with an ankle injury. Don't know the extent of any of those types of injuries or anything like that. But, um, the uh I, I would say another big uh takeaway is this offensive line actually looked a lot better in this game. And yeah, they're going up against a lot of Brown second team guys, some high draft picks, and and players like Malik McDowell, who was a second round pick at Michigan State, who would have been a first round pick, but he had a lot of character issues by the Seattle Seahawks a few years back, and he ended up making a couple good plays. But Jonathan Harrison specifically, he's somebody who definitely uh, caught my eye a little bit and looked pretty solid out there.
2: Yeah, he had a good game, which is. Not surprising, but, I mean, he was really not a good player with the Jets. If you look at everything there, he was a, arguably, some people thought he was the worst center in the NFL when he was playing with the Jets. So, I mean, this is preseason. This is going against guys he'll never face in the regular season, unfortunately. I'm not going to get my hopes too high, but he did have a good game, and it's worth noting that, at least in this game, against the competition he faced today, which, again, resembled, if we're going to be completely honest, more of that fourth traditional fourth preseason game, where it's all the back-end roster guys competing for roster spots, and so... We have to take that into consideration, but, yeah, I mean, the offensive line definitely looked better. Uh, Unfortunately for me, Nick, it just doesn't mean much, if I'm going to be honest, toward the 2021 season because, again, just pure backups across the board and, you know, going against backups across the board. So none of that really translates at all, unfortunately. But, yeah, at least it gives you a little bit of a better feeling, I guess, about the depth.
1: Yeah, it was just good to see the offense move the ball somewhat, I mean, I guess. I mean, they started the game with that jet sweep to C.J. Board, and I thought uh, Booker ran the ball, you know, somewhat well on that first drive. The second drive was much better. We saw some G.H. counter, some inside zone, play-action boot, get Glennon rolling out into space. Saw a lot of horizontal spacing concepts, some slant flat. Similar kind of looks that we've seen from Jason Garrett, 12 personnel, you know, double Y sets running the jet sweep to that side. Similar stuff that we saw last year. I hope that we're going to see a little bit more uh just – uh different types of, um, I guess, alignments and plays based off those alignments in the regular season from Jason Garrett. And I won't blame him for not showing that, you know, early on in uh, preseason or anything like that. But, man, dude, watching that first drive from the Browns offense and seeing Kevin Stefanski's opening script on a preseason game, it was just beautiful to see, really. I mean, that that guy can really call plays, sell his offensive formation show one thing, then run something else off of it, get the defense running in the entire opposite direction of where they're supposed to be. I mean, we saw that on that first Browns drive. It's just, uh, and it led to a fourth down touchdown where um, Madre Harper surrendered the touchdown. And he didn't use Jerome Henderson's technique, Dan. We talk about Jerome Henderson's technique all the time. He went with that far hand instead of the near hand and then it ended up being a really nice touchdown catch from the Browns receiver.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it is what it is when it comes to Garrity's here, at least for this season at least for the beginning of the season. I think he'll probably last the season. But I don't expect too much to change with Garrett. Uh, A coach this ingrained into his ways, it just doesn't seem likely. I still see a lot of what I was seeing last year with the, you know, he brings out that heavy personnel like he did today with the multiple tight ends. Right before the snap, he shifts them both to the other side of the formation. And, you know, these are little things that he likes to do that he did a lot last year but it's night and day when you watch a play caller like Kevin Stefanski versus a play caller like Jason Garrett. It's not like there's a little room here, a little room there that Garrett can kind of pick up the slack on. They're just playing calling the game from a completely different standpoint, from an overall philosophical standpoint and then like you just broke down also from the individual play calling standpoint as well. And it's 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 not great. Like I'm not I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it, Nick. It's just not worth sugarcoating. It's it's not genuine. I think the Giants have one of the worst play callers in the NFL, unfortunately, on their side. But the hope is that, like we've said, talent can sometimes make that not matter. We've seen that in the past. We've totally seen situations where quarterbacks have not been on the same uh, you know, page as their offensive play caller, and yet the offense has still found success over the last 10, 15 years in the NFL if the quarterback, if the skilled players, if the rest of the guys can do their part. In the end, these guys are just calling the plays. The players still have to make the plays. So it's not like a death sentence here. But, yeah, hopefully he's saving it all for the regular season, Jason Garrett, that is. Yeah, let's go with that. I mean, there was the one uh, third
1: down play where it was a shotgun counter run to Corey Clement, and they pulled the backside guard, and I think it was like a four-eye tech to shot the gap and tackled Corey Clement to force a punt. And and maybe – Maybe Jason Garrett's calling those plays, too. And I think I saw Art Stapleton tweet this, and it's a solid point. Maybe he's calling these plays to see how his guys react because this is a preseason game, how this offensive line blocks that specific play up. I, I'm not really 100% certain, but I would hope in the regular season he wouldn't call a play like that. In a, I think it was a third and four or third and six type of situation with that uh, alignment.
2: Yeah, and and that's not a bad point, like by our it could just be he wants to try out things he's not likely to try out in the regular season or you know, he can use it once every seventeen games if the perfect alignment, the perfect, you know, spot if he finds the perfect spot for it. Let's talk a little bit about the Giants defense, which had a pretty solid game, but before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. All right, let's talk Giants defense. Pretty good day for the defense. I thought they did a pretty solid job getting some pressure. So let's start there, I guess. Let's start with the pressure up front from the defense. What did you see?
1: Well, we talked a little bit about David Moa and Trent Harris. I thought both of them had solid, uh, just a solid game creating pressure. And another name that comes to mind is Raymond Johnson, who looks gigantic out there, to be honest. He's another one who looks really big like Rice and John, and he had a big hit on Case Keenum. And I think that was on the same play where Carter Coughlin had a bad rep at a linebacker on DPI, didn't get his head turned around, was just kind of mugging the tight end up the seam. I thought there was another rep where Coughlin kind of, didn't do a great job in coverage as a linebacker it was like a tight end cross or something and he was just a little bit too late to bite downward on it and it ended up being a first down conversion for the Browns but other than that I saw Carter Coughlin making a lot of other good plays but those are the two names that I really wanted to kind of bring up is Raymond Johnson and Carter Coughlin what did you see from those two
2: yeah it was a good game for especially it's good to see Carter Coughlin coming into his own a little bit you know in what was a newer role obviously at the sack. Um, and that was excellent. But just in general, he looked good. He did look like a linebacker who wasn't used to playing uh, in a coverage role on the pass interference, though I will say that. I mean, that was just a classic example to me of somebody who's learning a new position, which is – you know it's understandable like he like he needs to flip his hips around and turn his body there instead of boxing out the the receiver and just keeping his back to the quarterback like you need yep. to flip and you need to i mean that's just a class this is not really anything too in depth this is not anything like too crazy but at the same time it's almost natural i'm sure for some of these guys who have played that position a lot longer and who've had thousands to two to fives of 10,000s more reps in that exact spot and coverage and so it, it does give me a little bit of feel like we can't really put this guy out there right now at this position. He's still more of a project because there's going to be times where he's going to put, be put in that exact spot in the regular season if he's in that role. But, you know, he's playing hard. He's working hard. He's learning a new spot and he's at least making plays. He is making plays, and he's not just making plays
1: in coverage. They also used him on the third down. The Giants forced a three and out, and he had the sack with B.J. Hill, who also got into the uh, backfield. Wasn't credited with the sack, but Carter Coughlin ended up, I think it was Case Keenum, hitting Case Keenum, getting that sack, and that was just another play of him using that just relentless type of uh, pressure ability to get into the backfield and and, uh, just end a drive. And It kind of speaks to his versatility, which is something held so high by this Giants coaching staff, by Patrick Graham, and I think it's one reason why we're going to see Carter Coughlin make this roster because he is showing enough at linebacker I agree he had a couple I think it was really one series where it was he got that DPI and he had that one other mishap just kind of slow reaction ability at linebacker but he does a lot of different things for this defense and you know you can kind of plug and play him if there's an injury at edge you can put Carter Coughlin in there if there's an injury at linebacker you can put him in there and I think that's going to be a really valuable asset come season when injuries just start hitting teams.
2: I completely agree with that I think he's Definitely on a path toward making the roster. Who else stood out to you on the defense, Nick, or who else did you want to touch on?
1: Yeah, we brought up uh, B.J. Hill as well. And I think we should just probably talk about Rodarius Williams He he had one really good play. I think it was a tight end in the slot, and he just jumped, undercut the ball, just knocked it away. Really, really calm, really, really good discipline uh, on that one specific play. And then I feel like a lot of the other plays that he had were up and down. He was picked on a little bit, not as much, I think, as in the first game. Just an up and down game overall. But one thing I loved about it, we just spoke about Carter Coughlin's versatility. He was very versatile as well. He was playing on the boundary. He was playing in the slot, played a little bit at safety. And I think another guy who we didn't expect to really make this roster at the beginning of training camp. And now we're like, you know what? I think Rodarius Williams is going to earn a 53.
2: I think we definitely have been on that path. And I think that's what seems, at least on paper, to be to be likely. But I still have this weird feeling he might not make the roster. He might just be a practice squad stash for year one based on just their pure depth there. But I do think he's on a path there. He's definitely on a path. But I've seen these paths before from some of these back-end guys. And to me, Coughlin feels like more of a lock, at least to me. Uh, even though they're drafted in pretty similar positions, um, as a as a back end roster guy, I still think there, you know, it's time to sh- to, to sh- I don't want to say see if Rodarius Williams is going to make the roster. Just I just feel that depth at that position makes it a little bit tougher for him versus a guy like Coughlin, who's really not competing against too much at that inside spot. I mean, outside of you know, outside of Blake Martinez, even to say there's not any fully entrenched guys. I know Tay Crowder, you could say, obviously Reggie Ragland, who I like a little bit more, but seems like he's got a clearer path there
1: I would say so too I think I think that's fair if you're going to compare the two but I wouldn't be shocked if Williams doesn't earn a spot and I didn't really think that early on in training camp but at the same time if he is released it is a deeper position group and the Giants do like carrying a lot of Cornerback, and here's another player who adds a lot of special teams value. Who actually played cornerback, but he's a wide receiver. And Matt Cole, man, Matt Cole, he's doing it all for the Giants right now. He's a really, really good gunner. Had a good tackle as a gunner. Also had that big play against the Jets, keeping the ball at like the one or two yard line, knocking it back in bounds before it went into the end zone. He's traditionally a wide receiver, and then they put him out there for a series or two at cornerback, and he didn't see any targets. Instead, the Browns targeted Sam Beal. Yeah, without a doubt. All right. I'm sorry. Great. It wasn't great from Sam Beal, though, either, man. Like, Sam Beal was just kind of getting picked on that one play where he just – he allowed the wide receiver to come back towards the football. He drifted. He, he saw the play. He noticed it. Initially, it was solid technique, and then he just allowed the or the wide receiver to jump in front of him, and he didn't attack the ball. It was a very passive type of play from him, and you can't be making those types of plays. I saw him miss a couple tackles as well. He's definitely somebody that struggled for me, and if there was one player I had to name on the defensive side of the football that I was not impressed with, it would definitely be Sam Beal.
2: Yeah, I was just about to get to Beal because Beal had a bad game, and Beal has not had a good camp. Beal has not had a good camp before this with the Giants. He hasn't had any good off-seasons with the Giants, and now he's got a bad preseason game in a key spot to go along with really just no buzz whatsoever from camp. So we're getting to the point with Beale where this path is pretty clearly starting to trend toward he's going to be cut and released, and what a disaster it was to use that third-round supplemental pick on him. Just a total panic move by Gettleman at the time if we're going to call spade a spade. He didn't like the cornerback situation on the roster, and instead of looking at this like, how you should look at a roster, like if we don't have the option to take a corner right now, we might need to address that position the next offseason. He looked at it like we're going for this Eli Super Bowl, I guess, in 2018. We might as well dip a little bit into the future with an early supplemental pick um, to, to get field. But in the end, you're dumping a top 75 pick on a guy with injury concerns in college, playing at a low level, who is no guarantee at any point to be a NFL contributor. And it's going to look pretty likely like he'll be washed out of the NFL, in my mind, if the Giants do gut him and it's looking likely they will be cutting him. So just a low-key one of the worst moves of these last four years for me, uh, the Sam Beal thing. But it is what it is at this point. I mean, I had a little bit of hope when we broke down the corners earlier this offseason because he should, on paper, he seems like a more talented option than a Rodarius Williams. But on paper, isn't everything, especially when you get to a guy like Beal who just has had injuries, doesn't have the best frame for this in my mind after watching him play a little bit more. And just at this point, just seems to not be fitting in well.
1: Yeah, he's very slender. I mean, he's only 24 years old and he has traits and, and, and NFL teams bank on traits. I wouldn't be shocked if someone brings him into their practice squad, but he's going to have an uphill battle because none of those teams took risks on him. But still the fact that he's young, athletic, I think teams will, you know, give him that opportunity, but you got to stay healthy. You got to make plays. And that's not happening in a defensive system where they really. You know, try to teach these players. And we talk a lot about this coaching staff. Not every coaching staff really focuses on teaching uh, why and how to do things. They more just teach them, OK, this is what you do. And
2: I think if Sam deals not getting it with Patrick Graham, it might be difficult for him to get it with another defensive coordinator. Yeah, I think that's fair. On the flip side, Alec Bachman, not the best game for him. Dropped that, obviously, that looked like a pretty nice ball on the back shoulder. Dropped that one, and then had another drop in the first half. He's been a little bit better recently in training camp, getting some buzz. Some, I think he caught a red zone touchdown from Daniel Jones a couple practices ago with the joint practice with the Browns, the first one. But this is not a, good, not a great game for him in his competition to try to win one of those back-end roster spots.
1: Yeah, I don't think either of us expected either that he would – secure one of those maybe a practice squad type player but he had two third down drops one might have been knocked away it would have been a tough play and that was the one late in the fourth quarter the third and six but he also had the drop I think it was maybe the one of the first drives the Giants had along the sidelines where he just could not secure it so you're spot on there that just wasn't a great showing from Alex Bachman every time we saw number 15 out there it was kind of just a mediocre showing but I thought Gary Brightwell he did well as a receiver. Now, he didn't punch that last drive into the end zone, but, I mean, it was really difficult uh, for him to do that. He tried to cut back, but the Giants fullback got kind of taken out by the end man on the line of scrimmage from the Browns, leading two linebackers there. And Gary Brightwell's not going to run over two linebackers, even if it's from the half-yard line. But as a receiver and just to kind of see him out there, because we haven't seen a lot of these rookies like we talked about on the last podcast, it's kind of nice to at least see him
2: get some run and actually catch some footballs from Brian Lewerke. Yeah, you nailed it. Um, Brightwell is much better than we expected. Naturally speaking, as a receiver, that's a skill set you need in my mind to stick in the NFL at that position. Um, unless you're, you know, the rare types, Adrian Petersons, and so, and obviously, Gary Brightwell is not that. So, yeah, that's a good sign for him. It's a very good sign for him. I still think he's facing an uphill battle based on the usage, based on you know, uh, the fact that Corey Clement's still on this roster. But we'll see what happens there.
1: Yes, and we brought up O'Shane a little bit, as the men as he had one sack and then he had another pretty solid pressure. I would say got hip to hip, used the outside hand club and the inside hand to kind of create a little bit of separation and then burst into the pocket and it flushed the, uh, Kyle Letta, former giant great out of the, former preseason giant great out of the pocket and it led to that run. I thought that was a pretty solid play from O'Shane just to kind of create havoc, but then obviously it led to a long, a rush from Lalletta and then they fumble and everything like that at the end of the half though so context is also pretty important there
2: yeah no doubt about it thought it was interesting that we saw Xavier McKinney running with the second team to start the game um what did you make did you make anything of that or yeah. what
1: no, I just think they want. He's a young player, and they just wanted to, you know, get his feet wet with some reps. I think it was only one series, maybe, that he played. So I, I don't really read too much. You know, I saw Darnay Holmes out there as well. He made a nice tackle, but it was only I think he was out there for maybe two series. But I don't really read too much into that.
2: Yeah, I don't either. I does, definitely was surprised to see McKinney out there, though, with that considering everyone else who was benched.
1: Yeah, young players, man. I guess they just wanted to end up playing him, especially since he had a you know injury shortened rookie season. And then we had a. David Sills, a nice touchdown catch, had a really, really nice grab along the sidelines on a deep horizontal cross as well. I mean, he's, he's going to make it hard for the Giants to cut him, but I mean, I saw them try him as a, as a gunner. He did a solid job winning inside, but when you watch guys like Keon Gr- Crossin and then even CJ Board, it seems like both of those guys are probably better at being gunners than, uh, David Sills. So I, I'm not a hundred percent certain if, if, or if he's going to be able to make this roster, but he's, He's valuable as a receiver and he shows a lot of nuance and I really like him in that role.
2: Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. That's gonna be a super interesting one because he's been the training camp hero, he's been the preseason hero now. It's a steady drum beat as a receiver, but then there comes the question, do these back end guys at that position make the team because of how they can, you know, compete in the preseason against competition you're never gonna see in the regular season? As a receiver, or do they make it because they can be a, a plus gunner in snaps that are going to matter in the regular season against NFL you know special teams units and ultimately I think most teams including the Giants will go with plan b there which is you know take the guy who's going to give you the best chance to win on special teams in real games I don't know if sills if he makes a team will ever even have an opportunity to get you know regular season snaps at the receiver position given the depth and given how likely and how often Jason Garrett wants to run twelve personnel with two tight ends on the field and only two receivers. So to me, I would bank on him actually not making this roster if I had to guess right now, but he's certainly making the best case he can to make the roster. <laughs> certainly. Definitely the best
1: case. Uh that's that's definitely a certainty. And um also another gunner that we talked about mentioned a little bit is Cam Brown, man. I mean every time that guy's out there they put him out a gunner. This guy's just an absolute maniac. He makes tackles down the field. he just does incredibly good stuff. Thomas McGee, he he just uh, raved about him throughout practice this week. He said he's very talented, he's a rare bird. he's just different. He's a six foot five, 230pound guy that can run like a deer. And you know what? He's right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's just a freak athlete, man, and, I, and I'm, I'm glad the Giants got that him in the uh, sixth round last year.
2: Yeah, he's a nice special teams piece for them for sure. Maybe one day he'll be able to develop in something on this defense, some kind of situational piece. But at worst case, you're getting a really good special teamer. And that, that matters a lot to this team, and it should matter because it definitely helps you win games.
1: Absolutely. Matthew Slater, ask him. He's had a long career in New England and has been incredibly valuable to their special teams unit. Yep, no doubt about
2: it. All right, anything else you want to touch on from this preseason game?
1: No, no, I think we're all good. Let's uh, see what they can do in these New England practices, and then up for that last preseason game.
2: It's going to be a big week. I think it's going to be a really, really big week for the Giants as far as giving us a glimpse at what 2021 can be because they're going a short turnaround heading up to Boston, and then they're going to have these big time practices back to back versus the Patriots. Where a lot, it's going to be intense. I think those are going to be almost like close to regular season style practice. I think both coaches are on board with, this is when we finally gear down. This is the start of our preseason of what actually matters. They're doing it all in one week because they don't want to risk the injuries, which I get, and it's going to happen all this week, followed by a preseason game which is not going to be your t- traditional last preseason game. That was somehow this week. The whole preseason schedule is like screwing with me, Nick, because it's so weird. The game we had today was literally what you would see in the fourth preseason game of every preseason of our entire lives until this year, and you would never see a preseason season game after the one we just saw. That was what was typically and always the final look you'd get at the preseason. it was pretty meaningless for the most point. I mean, let's be completely honest about the situation. Most of these guys aren't going to be playing for either the Browns or giants this year for any meaningful snaps outside of special teams, but they're flipping the script and that's going to all come down to this last week, the one just before the season, which honestly, in my mind, like I kind of like how judge is doing it. I think it's way more important to have this dress rehearsal the last week, just one week before the regular season to get these key reps in, these important reps in. So I'm really looking forward to tracking the practices all week. We'll have a ton of coverage on that. And then obviously being able to break down a preseason game where Daniel Jones plays a lot of snaps.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I'm just looking forward to seeing Daniel Jones' second year in this with some of his new weapons. I mean, I don't think we're going to end up seeing Galladay. I can't really speak to Barkley or Tony at this point. Maybe we'll see Galladay. Who knows, you know? But, you know, I'm just excited to uh, kind of tackle all this, and we'll be right here for it.
2: And hopefully we see Rudolph, too, because the Rudolph thing, uh, from the very start, I wasn't given a pass on that one because I thought it was a very risky signing when you sign a guy who's at that age, that advanced age, to a pretty solid contract who you know is coming off of Liz Frank and hasn't practiced at all. It's been disappointing from my end at least. I mean, you know, it's according to the plan and all, but you know, now we're getting close to the regular season and this investment's to me looking worse and worse and worse and I hope I'm wrong and I'm not saying it's going to be a bad investment. All I'm saying is if I could pick any investment they made this offseason that is the least likely to hit, I would say it's for sure this one coming off the Liz Frank. So I'm hoping I'm wrong because they could really use a good wide tight end like Rudolph. And I'd like to see him play in this preseason game. I know that's probably a long shot at this point but if it is Nick then they're only a week away from the regular season so the, what does that mean about his week one status you know even guys like Galladay are like uh, you know and I agree with you we might not see him this week but then what because we're getting close to the regular season at this point it's like Galladay Tony Rudolph Barkley four guys who are expecting to make key contributions if they're not on the field this Sunday one full week just one week before the regular season I'm not going to get worried but it's it's something to think about
1: it absolutely is something to think about, especially since we just saw Rice and John get injured, Cole Hickettini got injured, so who do we exactly have left at tight end? The kid that they signed from Ohio State Houseman, and you have um, Nakia Stewart-Griffin, or however you pronounce it. Yeah. So it, it's not looking great from that position standpoint either, and we know that position is so valuable to what Jason Garrett wants to do as well, and you don't have Levine Toilolo anymore either, so you're looking at Caden Smith, you're looking at Evan Ingram, and then some guys you probably didn't think were going to make your roster. So it's, it's not looking great from that standpoint.
2: Yeah, it's an odd situation right now with the skill players because there's four, four key guys, and just none of them are playing anything right now. They're not practicing. They're not playing any preseason snaps. And so we'll see what happens, but I'm hoping they get up to speed fast. But anyway, a lot to cover this week coming up, so keep it locked and loaded here. Big Blue Podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. That's a lot of As always, have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you soon.